I'm Dominic. I'm Victoria. And, and we, we are, are the, the founders, founders of Pure Love and Health Ministries, a community whose goal is to create safe spaces where people can heal. Join us as we talk about relationships, ministry, struggles, hurts, overcoming, with God at the center of everything we do. Come, Come sit, sit with, with us. us. In today's episode, Victoria is going to share some raw and real wounds that occurred during her childhood. Which include a traumatic Me Too moment. And her parent wounds. Feeling like my dad was super scary. That made growing up in Bridgeport that much harder. So if you're driving, on your way to work, killing that workout, or chilling on your couch, we welcome you to get to know us more and invite you on a journey toward pure, pure love. love. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Pure Love Podcast. My name is Dominic Garcia. Please call me DJ. And I'm with the awesome Victoria Rosa Garcia with us today. Hello. Um, so today's episode, we are at episode three of our first season. And this is a uh, part two to Wounded Warriors. And pretty much what we're going to be talking about today is my wife. We're going to be talking about her story and her testimony and how uh, Pure Love came to be victoria how about you give us like just the larger picture of of our ministry from your perspective well a large part of pure love and health ministries is healing we want to see people go from brokenness to wholeness and we have a passion to see people get breakthrough and get out of being stuck and so the reality is many people are walking around with broken past and broken hurts i mean I, that was me for a really long time and we kind of accumulate those hurts when we learn not to cope when we learn not to process when we learn not to heal and move through we tend to cope and create toxic coping patterns and we destroy the relationships around us we destroy our relationships with our family and with our friends and so pure love and health ministries came about because I personally went through a rock bottom season emotionally and mentally and didn't really have a community to go to or know where to go to in that season. And so here we are, right? Yeah. Three years in. Talk about a little bit about the last episode and what you discussed in Wounded Warrior Part 1. Yeah. So in our last episode, I talked about my relocation from Atlanta to Bridgeport and how that created insecurities for me, also, I talked a little bit about my dad wounds and uh, how me and my dad reconciled. God kind of like brought that all back together. Pretty amazing. Last episode was a hard one. You know, uh, this episode is going to be a hard one to talk about, too. But what helps people the most is knowing that it's not just them. My story is probably the same, just like everybody else's. You know, there's seven billion people on this planet. It's very hard to think that I'm the only one to go through what I went through. Right. You know. Right. And so in this episode we're going to be talking about my wounds yeah. and where I came from and our goal at Pure Love and Health is to help people heal and become their whole selves so before we can give all that advice that we have um, I think it would be only the right thing to do to share a piece of ourselves and so thank you so much for being transparent on that last episode no, yeah, no I problem. think <laughs> the feedback we got was that people really could resonate with you on how you felt in your dad wounds and 
Um, I also think those who couldn't relate still enjoyed hearing where you came from and knowing more about you. And so when they come through our ministry or when they, they know where you're coming from when they're with you in ministry. So I think there's a power in that. And so when healing is our goal, we can't take this journey of pure love without being real about where we started. Yeah. So I'm going to be real about where I started. Okay. And um, a lot of people ask me why Purity and Peace was so so successful. (laughs) That is the first, you know, Bible study that we launched with the women. And I think our power is in our transparency. Yep. Right. And our ability to be honest. And I wanted to create that. I've been in church my whole life. And I felt that what the church was lacking and is lacking is places where people can go and really be transparent about the real things that they're struggling with. I mean, recently we just heard about John Christ. We met him not too long ago. He was at the stress factory here in downtown Richport. And then, you know, all this tea is being spilled out about him, how he was struggling with sexting and pornography and, you know, being misogynistic and all these things. And it goes all the way up to our pastors and our leaders. Where do people go to be honest and transparent? Do we have accountability in the church? And a lot of the time it's a resounding no. So my heart's desire was to create that safe space. And so I just, you know, a PSA, we have family members listening. We have um, friends listening and hearing our stories. And a lot of people said from last week, feedback last week, too, is that I didn't know that was DJ's story. You know, I just I just saw him show up in Bridgeport, but I didn't know what the background to that was, you know. And I think um, for my story is the same. A lot of people don't know, you know, a lot of the things that I I went through. And so having... um you know, been brought up here in Bridgeport, Connecticut, good old Bridgeport, Connecticut. I was born in St. Vincent's Hospital to an amazing couple who were very prominent in the Bridgeport public school system. Amazing people. Principal Neville Rosa. Yes. And my mother, Gloria Rosa. Um, You know, we grew up in Good Shepherd Christian Church. It's a Spanish Pentecostal church on State Street in Bridgeport. If you were Puerto Rican, and Christian. At one point in, in time, yeah. yeah. You definitely went to. You know, uh, you went to shepherd. that church. Yeah. You went to that church or you knew somebody. Who, or anybody. if you were in Bridgeport, you were at least, either depending on what high school you went to, like everybody, like I get it all the time. They're like, oh my gosh, you're Neville Rose's son-in-law. Like he was my principal. He changed my life. You know, like. Exactly. It, every Everywhere I go. Everywhere. I exactly. Yeah. And they were very involved in the church. And I just remember being with my parents and why I'm so dedicated to ministry is because I saw that modeled for me growing up. They took me to VBS. I was in youth group. Um, I was teaching Bible study at a very young age. Um, we did missionettes, which is the Christian Girl Scouts. If you don't know about missionettes and Royal Rangers, look it up. It is a um, fantastic program. We went through all of those programs. But, you know, even even though I was going through all of that and I had what people would think the perfect childhood from the outside looking in, unbeknownst to anyone, I was being touched inappropriately, you know, as a child. Um, And that was something that I kept a secret for a really long time. It was, you know, something that I felt, one, ashamed about as a child uh, because I've learned now that I'm older that when these things happen to children, most children don't say anything because they 
they can sense that it's bad. And it's like, this bad thing happened and therefore I'm bad. And, you know, this goes for if your parents got a divorce or, you know, anything bad that happens to a child, they take on the responsibility. I'm bad. And so I think that that's what kind of helped me keep that a secret because as a child, I wanted to make sure that I made my parents proud. And I knew that this was wrong. Like this was being done to me and that this was wrong. And I didn't want to verbalize that because then I would be quote unquote telling on myself and I'd get in trouble or whatnot. And so that was happening to me and it was really a struggle because it it brought a lot of insecurities up in me. Um, It made me feel dirty. You know, it made me feel like I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know how to defend myself. And I had I just known to just speak up and say something, I think I would have I would have been able to allow my parents to come through for me. But, you know, when it comes to things like this, the enemy is very slick about yeah. the lies that he feeds us in our minds and how those things are seem to be true. And that's one thing I want to point out is that secrets make you sick. Mm. And so if the enemy can keep you quiet, he can get you to be really sick. Um, There's a story in the Bible where uh, one of David's daughters, I think her is Tamar, was um, she was sexually abused. And um, it talks about her. She tells her brother, but her brother then puts her in secrecy. And it says she lives as a desolate woman for the rest of her life mm. in secrecy. And that speaks so much volumes to me when I hear the story of Rapunzel being locked up in a tower. You know, it's it's so symbolic to me about what this traumatic things in childhood do to people. Yeah. And so you may be out there and, you know, maybe you weren't sexually abused as a child. Maybe it was something else. Maybe you weren't inappropriately touched, but something traumatic happened to you. Even you, DJ, when I talked to you about when we discuss about you relocating and how that was traumatic for you, but you never verbalizing it and saying it as such. When these traumatic things happen to us as children, it's almost like we are pushed into a place of secrecy where we can't share those things, where we can't share our story. One, because we're still trying to figure out our voice, I think, as a child. And the lie of the enemy that says you you can't say anything. No one's going to advocate for you anyway. So I didn't know any better. At that time. Now, I do know, having done period and peace, that some kids do say things. And then there's so many different responses. You know, you hear people say things and then their mothers don't believe them. You know, they they take the side of the abuser because maybe the abuser is their own father or, you know, it gets complicated. The story, you know, the story isn't so straightforward most of the time. It never is with, with, with situations like this. And so... You know, how a parent responds when they receive this information is so important. Are you advocating for the child or not? And I do want to say, I think my parents were baby boomers, right? And in the baby boomer, my mom had me at 40 years old. So she had me a little bit, a little bit older, 39, I should say. That generation, they were very secretive 
I mean, when when a woman got her period, they couldn't even say it out loud in the classroom. They had to tell their their teachers secretly, and they were sent home, and everything everything was so secretive. And I think that that generation, it's so hard. It's easier to just swipe things under the rug. I think we brought that culturally into the church. Yeah, I would have to definitely agree with that. I think culturally, you know, um, secrecy is something that is, I think people think it's needed because they think it's a type of protection mm. in a sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes secrecy is, you know, in, in some cases we see in the Bible, you know, how like um, when we talk about, you know, the walls of Jericho, right? And then we talk about the prostitute that hid the spies, and I think it really, what it really comes down to is um, God makes a purpose for everything. Everything. You know, the biggest question I get all the time is like, well, if God's so good, then why is there evil in the world? And, but because of God's complexity and his purpose for everything, how things fall and how he still works everything for our good, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's a time and a place for everything. I'm not saying there's a time and a place for sin. I just want to throw that out there. But you know, for example, I mean, she was saying it in a form of protection. Right. I think there's a difference. If I could just put in there. And I I was going to touch upon this. There's a difference between secrecy and discretion. Yes. There we go. You know what I'm saying? That's, I think that's where you're going toward. And, and what it is, is like, I use the story of Esther. In the story of Esther, Mordecai tells her, Esther, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. There was a purpose for that. She used discretion. She listened to him and and he told her that for a reason. Not that she was lying, but she was she had discretion. So there's there's a difference between secrecy and discretion. Yeah. Keeping things private for a purpose. Private for a purpose. That's discretion. When you keep things secret, you're keeping things private. It's almost a perversion. Yeah. Secrecy is a perversion of discretion. You're keeping things private so that no one finds out and so that you can carry that burden alone. That's different from discretion. That's not, you know, keeping things it contained for a purpose. It's keeping things contained and it's toxic. Yeah. For it, it's all about the intention of the heart. Yeah, it's all about the intention of why you're keeping something. Of why a secret. you're keeping yeah. something a secret? Yeah. I'm keeping something a secret because I'm ashamed, yeah. as opposed to keeping something secret for a, a greater purpose. Yeah, that will eventually may come out. You know, eventually. Because all things in the event- dark will come out. Right. Yeah. Eventually, Esther had to tell the king Xerxes at the time that she was a Jew and that he, he was about to kill. There was about to be a rule instated that was going to kill all of her people. And that was the right time to bring that out. When using discretion is going forward and and knowing when to say, when to say it. Secrecy is vowing never to say it. Yeah, like you said, it's it's about it's always always about the heart. So like we hold secrets because of shame, right? In your case, you were shameful, right? You know, um, and, and hurt and confused yeah. and all these other things that you know the enemy was using with this one situation. So, I mean, moving on until mm. I started a deep healing process from my past and started to learn to cope in a healthy way, my value in Christ increased and I made 
better decisions. But until that happened, I was making a lot of dysfunctional decisions because I had a victim mentality. Mm. And that's very popular with those who have been victims. You know, and I don't say that in a negative, like victim mentality, but it is what it is. You're in a survival mode. Yeah, it's about me and against the world, always. Always. Yeah. And how could that not show up in my friendships? How could that not show up in my relationships with my family? You know, it did show up. It also showed up in my dating, right? I dated a dysfunctional person. Why? You know, instead of choosing a healthy person, I dated a dysfunctional person. I believe all of those things stemmed from what was happening to me. I also gained an enormous amount of weight. If you didn't know this, a coping mechanisms for victims is that they put on weight so that they're not desirable to their abuser. Mm, okay. And so that not sense. that's not to say that every overweight child has been abused, but it's something to look out for. Parents, be on guard. Look out for these things. Look out, look out for red flags. You know, it's more than just the weight. But that was a symptom of my abuse. Another thing growing up, you know, my dad is old school. He's a son of an alcoholic. Um, and I noticed this as a child that my dad was really angry. He was explosive angry. Kind of like you were saying about your dad, right? Yeah. He was explosive angry. And that combination of, you know, being sexually abused by a male, and then having a dad who felt, as a child, five-year-old Vicky. We're not talking about 35-year-old Vicky now. But to five-year-old Vicky, that was scary. Yeah, That was an unsafe, another unsafe male. You know, and it's just the perfect recipe for the enemy to put in my mind that men are not safe. Yeah, and, it, and coming from your dad's point of view, also being a Vietnam vet as a medic, being out there in the field, you know, they, they always bring that home. And so, you know, Part of his explosiveness could have been contributed to his like experience. PTSD. Yep. Like we we have no idea. Yeah. We're learning about these things now, but we have no idea what how that contributed right to his psychological well being at home. And I believe that the only thing that kept him was that he was saved. He was a minister in church. Like those are the things that grounded him. And thank God that he was the one at the same time while he had this explosive personality. And, you know, he wasn't safe. I He was always consistent and he was safe. You know, it wasn't my dad never hurt me, never, you know, beat me up or abused, physically abused me, you know. Um, was there some verbal things that were triggering? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And so I learned in, in going through therapy and things like that, that that was just the perfect recipe for the enemy to set me up to feel that men weren't safe. Yeah, which and, means you couldn't talk to your dad. About what was going on. Exactly. And I think that the enemy, you know, there's a perversion of what's good. He perverts the things that God made that are good. And so in in some aspects, you know, women who are abused, they will go to one perversion or one extreme and they will be overly sexualized. And they say, well, you know, I'm damaged goods, so let me just sleep with everybody and let everybody have access to me. I think I went the opposite way. And I was like, let me get really fat and unattractive (laughs) and let me not, I don't want anybody to talk. I don't want any interaction with like guys, you know, they're not safe at all. And so either one of those routes are not healthy, not balanced and not good. It's not the way God created me women to be. 
and that male that male female interaction and so that's kind of my my story until i until i got into be an adult and i had a 6 year relationship and i broke up and that had its uh turmoil there when i was 26 years old i hit rock bottom and it was just like i hadn't coped with anything because you know no one was saying vicky go see your therapist or go to counseling like <laughs> you know especially in the puerto rican church you know they're like you're not praying enough you're not I think at 26 years old, when I hit that rock bottom stage and, and I went through an anxiety and depression and just, you know, a lot of things, it was when I was started talking to you and I felt finally felt romantic feelings because I was so used to avoiding men, especially after my breakup too. I was like, no, I'm so, I'm so hurt that I don't want to be around any guys. And that was so extreme when I finally did feel romantic feelings. It was like I was getting anxiety. I was like, and that's not normal, right? Like I'm supposed to like someone and it's supposed to feel good and you're supposed to feel butterflies. And and I wasn't feeling any of that. I was like, this is torturous. I want out. I want to run. I want to emotionally cut right now. Like I want to cut you off and never talk to you again. Like yeah, you told me that a few exactly. times. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, all of this, I think is kind of like the built up. You start looking at your life and you start seeing the patterns Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's telling us that there are patterns in this world that we fall into. And so when you look at your relationships, you can start seeing cycles and patterns of things that you, you have done. And I started to see that and I started to deal with those things at 26 years old, went to therapy, got on some medication, I was able to really deal with these things. I hadn't told anybody yet about, you know, my abuse until I think I had told like a youth worker and like two of my friends, but nothing serious. It was just like, uh, it wasn't anything that was, you know, cathartic or yeah. healing. It was just more like this happened to me and like, we're just going to move on yeah. and not When really was that healing it. point for you? Like, when did you start... Um... When Start I, that yeah, I would yeah. say at 26 when I, when I was in Florida and I had like a rock bottom moment and I started to go to counseling and I verbalized it and I gave, you know, I gave myself the permission to share my story with someone was when I started to heal from that really and truly and acknowledge like this happened to me. And then, you know, not even see, seeing the reaction of my counselor, not even flinch and just be like, okay, well, you know, not like this was out of this world, like yeah. I'm a monster or anything like that, you know, because that's what the enemy wants us to think, right? Like that we're totally used and abused and no good. And so I think that was really the start of it for sure. Okay. Now back to your story. I mean, um, what was, what was one of the main reasons why you felt like you couldn't talk to your parents? I definitely was raised to please my parents. Mm. You know, like I wanted to please them. I think that's also part of my personality too, is I want to please people please. And my parents were like type A type. They're like eights on the Enneagram scale, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> militant. You know, I wanted to please my parents and make them proud. And I knew this information would not make them happy. So why would I share it? I'm, my whole life, I'm living here to try to make you happy. Why would I share with you information that could potentially incriminate me? Because in my mind, I thought I was bad. 
I deserve this or I did something to deserve this. Why would I, why would I share that? Mm. You know, and of course it's toxic thinking when you start, you know, looking at it, it's a toxic thinking pattern, but it makes sense when, when you start breaking it down like that. Um, I was afraid as a child, you have this sense of what's right and wrong and you have this internal moral compass and you know what's right and wrong. And I was like, this is bad. I'm bad. Yeah. You know, and I didn't want to have to share that. Oh, wow. How did you feel about your, how do you fit? How did, how did you feel about being overweight when you were kids? Like, weren't you bullied for being overweight? Definitely bullied. Okay. Lots of bullying. You know, it's crazy if kids knew why I was so heavy, I don't think they would have bullied me. Right. But it's just, it is what it is. Um, but I did combat it with being funny. I built character. I had a sense of humor. Um, and I also, you know, I think this was part of, part of it is that I didn't lack, like I had my own room. I was, I had two older brothers who loved me. I had parents who loved me. So all of those things, you know, I went, I went to, I had the word of God in me. I had a praying grandmother. All these things were combating the flaming arrows of the enemy against my life. Yeah, what could have really been. Right. If I didn't have that cushion of Jesus Christ all around surrounding me and being raised in the church and raised with godly friends and godly people, my God, I don't know where I would have ended up. Right. Um, So I didn't lack. And I think that even though um, I was using this weight thing as a defense mechanism psychologically, I guess I was one with it too. It was like, listen, I know why. I know why I'm I'm doing this. I'm feeding this void or whatever it is. Like I'm one with it. You can make fun of me, but I'm not gonna tell you why I did it. You know what I mean? Like in my mind, I kind of knew what was up. So the bullying, like it affected me. It made me feel bad, and I didn't know how to change like that. But I think I was one with it at, at the same time. Okay. And going back to your father, and I think this is what kind of intrigues me the most, because every time I talk to anybody about your dad or people who look at me and they're like, oh, you're married to Vicky. Oh, I know her father. When they hear your father's name or when they remember or think bad about your father, the only thing I've heard of was always good things. Mm-hmm. You know, either it was, it was growing up in church. I mean, your dad um, was one of my, when I was, you know, when I started going to church, when I came up here and started doing Royal Rangers, your father was very well a part of that. And just hearing from other people, you know, how your father impacted their lives when school and and different other organizations being raised with them. What made you feel afraid about your father, especially when everybody wasn't afraid of your dad? I think it was the picture that was painted to me. Um, I feel like I don't want to throw my mom under the bus, yo. But, (laughs) you know, sometimes that family dynamic that nobody sees, right? Yeah. But just my my dad was explosive. He had an explosive personality. I think I saw my mom sell the idea that we had to overcompensate to ensure that things would go smooth and it wouldn't trigger his anger. So it made me feel like I have to go above and beyond so I don't tick this guy off. Like we're walking on eggshells, you know, Mm. when I don't necessarily believe that was the reality of of who my dad was. But to five year old Vicky, he was explosive. He was angry. He was not safe. And I could not tell him things. When did you feel like you can talk to your dad or have like a better relationship? So like when when did the fear stop? Like when did you start seeing your dad for who he was and 
the type of person he really was. Yeah, I think my dad is kind of like backpedaling. I think my dad also wanted us to be afraid of him too, right? Like he wanted us to respect him, yeah. you know, so he kind of utilized and leveraged that. But I think it was kind of to a disadvantage because if I didn't feel so fearful, maybe I would have said something. But when did I start feeling? Well, I did a lot of things like daddy-daughter things too, which was kind of weird. Like I did karate with him for years, like five to 10 years. We did karate together. He was my softball coach, but he was always like, he was always like that position of I'm telling you what to do or how to do it or my coach. We didn't get to a place of friend until I was about in high school. And like, I I remember like even asking him about like my, he would take me to vocal lessons. And I remember having a real talk with him one day and just being like, dad, I don't want to do this behind your back. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I just want to know when I can start dating because I want to start dating a guy and I don't want to date him behind your back. So what's up? What's the deal? And I remember that being so hard to just talk to him about that. But I felt like that was one of the realest conversations I had with him. And it kind of broke the ice for us to have realer conversations. So I want to say that was about when I was like 16. Yeah. So in that moment, that was like a phase where it became from coach and mentor to more of like daddy and daughter type of thing. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. And then so from there, I, I knew that was safe enough to talk to him about. And he, you know, his response was so cool. He was like, man, Vic, I really appreciate you telling me that because I don't want you doing anything behind my back either. Mm. You know, and I was like, yeah, so what's the deal? Like, let's let's have a real talk. Let's talk about this. And so I feel like that came, you know, you build that and it's a risk you take when you're scared of having a t- real talk with your parents. You don't know how they're going to respond. You right, like yeah, that's the reality. True. It's a risk that you take. Um, some of us out there, some of you out there, you need to have real talk with your parents. You've experienced some things in your life. Maybe it wasn't as severe as mine, or maybe it was more severe that you've been hiding from your parents, or you've been hiding from your loved ones. Um, or maybe you know you did talk to your parents and they didn't have a good response. It's a risk you take because I could have. Had started having those types of conversations with my dad and he could have totally rejected me and been exactly who I thought he was, you know? Um, but I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised at the response that you get when you put yourself out there and really, um, have those hard conversations with your parents. Yeah. Now, did you ever have like a breakthrough moment with your dad? Like, where you were able to, like, be transparent about some of the things that you might have went through, like, maybe your past relationships? Or... I definitely had a transparent moment when my dad had to sat, sit him down and tell him. Because, you know, here I am sharing my testimony <clears throat> with women in purity and peace. Here <clears throat> I am sharing my testimony. I feel like God, here I am sharing my testimony on this podcast, right? Yeah. And again, it would hurt me to know that someone would go and tell my dad this part of my testimony or bring it up because that's how the enemy works too yeah like he somebody always, hears this podcast always trying to always, always trying, trying to, trick to be somebody, extra always trying to trip somebody up. right yep. always yep. trying to be extra someone hear this testimony and go talk about my testimony to my dad did you hear what vicky said about you on blah blah so 
yeah, before that, before that would even happen, I sat him down and I had a real talk with him. I was like, dad, my ministry is growing and, you know, I have to have a serious conversation with you. And I told him everything that I'm telling you right now. Mm. And it was just an amazing opportunity and amazing experience. Do you feel like that was a weight that you're holding on to? It was definitely a weight I was holding on to. But it was definitely a breakthrough that I needed. And I'll tell you, after I did it, I was upset that I still had to do it. It wasn't like freedom. Like, yes, I finally did this. Like, I was so ticked off that I had to have that conversation. I was like, I'm doing this against my will. I don't even want to have this conversation. Again, it was like the little girl in me just coming out having a tantrum. But it had to get done. I had to do it. It would break my heart for my father to find out my story from someone else. He doesn't deserve that. Mm. He doesn't deserve that. And so that was so important to me. I felt like God definitely made that a point for me to do. And I, I got that done and I was able to get that freedom. And, you know, I was able to grieve finally. I think it was like the final thing that I needed to do to heal all the way up until now I've been helping women heal for the past what three years and you know just recently I got this done and it was definitely cathartic and it was the last step that I needed in order to kind of close that chapter that's awesome well in this part of our podcast we're going to be talking about pure love pointers Um, the pure love pointers are lessons we want to share with the world Little dollops of wisdom we'd like to express to others based on the topic we're discussing, which today is our personal wounds. So, Victoria, what would be your two pure love pointers that you want to give to everybody? So my first pure love pointer is know that you're not alone. One of the tricks of the enemy is to try to tell you that you're in this alone. You're the only one that this has ever happened to. First Peter 5, 9 and 10 says, be sober minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him standing firm in your faith and in the knowledge that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering it talks about here being resisting the devil and then it reminds you that you're resisting the devil and standing firm in your faith because you know that you're not the only one going through this so i think that Peter here is specifically talking about he's telling you a tactic of the enemy is to make you feel like you're alone. And one way to resist the devil is by knowing that other brothers and sisters in the faith are going through the same kind of suffering. I'm not the first person this happened to. I'm not the last. And I say that to all my brothers and sisters out there. Listen to me now. Listen, you weren't the first person to experience your parents separating and moving you from Atlanta to Bridgeport, Connecticut. You're not the first person who was touched inappropriately by someone you trusted. You're not the first person to experience a divorce or to experience physical abuse as a child or mental abuse. You're not, you're not the only one. There's so much of people out there. And that's, you know, you, that's another reason why you should definitely share your testimony. Because someone out there is being tricked by the devil. And thinking that they're alone. Thinking that yeah. they're alone. Point, pure love pointer number two is, this one's big for me. Don't assume just because someone had a good life that they haven't struggled. I think that people assumed I had a great life. And from the outside looking in, everything was fine. 
but I was going through some real things, right? There were some real things happening to me and no one stopped and asked me. And part of me not being able to tell my story was because I knew I had a good life and it would be like the equivalent of me kind of complaining. Mm. Oh, you're going to complain about this when you have such a good life. You know, lies again, all lies, all wrong thinking, but it's a way the enemy gets in your mind and just tells you, you know, you don't deserve to complain about this because you have a good life. Other people have it worse. I think the misconception is like, you know, you can only have a bad life if you grew up in poverty or if you grew up in a different not having a good life, if you didn't have a house or if you didn't have certain things. And I think what makes us unique as human beings is that we're empathetic, that we may have not gone through the same things, but we feel the same emotions in different ways. Um, exactly. So that's yeah. the biggest thing is just don't assume that someone, just because they have a white picket fence and their daddy has a credit card that they can swipe, that they've had the perfect life because that's not true. Awesome. Love is a verb. And as we as God children are the hands and feet and we are what love looks like here on earth. So our pure love, passion, actions are practical ways that we put love into work. What would be your passion action for our audience today? Well, since we're talking about our past hurts, my passion action number one is definitely share your story. Um, It took me 25 years to share mine after what happened to me happened. And I finally shared mine without shame or without just like passing by, like deliberately with purpose shared mine at the age of 30 at my first Purity and Peace small group that I held. And I mean, my childhood friends didn't even know some of these things. And I put the real and raw testimony. When I say share your testimony, I'm not saying putting this thing out on Facebook either, right? Like, we're not saying make a podcast yeah, about it. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. What I call them, Facebook pastors or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're using it as a platform, right? But um, what I am saying is it's okay to share your story with a trusted and true friend or a therapist or getting it off your chest and sharing um, the real testimony that God gave you because... You never know how your story is going to impact the lives of other people. I cannot tell you, if you see the growth of Purity and Peace, it's 100% because my transparency, right? My, my willingness to share my heart with the six girls that were in that attic with me when we started Purity and Peace. And the ministry has grown, I believe, because of that. I also think your relationships are as deep as you go. Mm. You know, with my period in peace, if you're a small group leader, your small group is only going to be as deep as the leader. Your small group, you set the tone and you set the temperature as the leader of your small group. And that's also in your relationships. You set the tone. So if you want fake relationships or you're complaining about your relationships being fake, it's probably because you're fake. Mm. It's probably because you're not willing to go into deep places you're not willing to disclose and when we set certain temperatures too that's what attracts certain people right so if i'm acting fake i'm only going to attract fake people right you build a fire and it's warm you're going to attract people who want to get warm exactly um and i shared my story with my parents you know my specifically my dad 
And he knew. And when I was able to share that with him, it was the most Christ-like response he gave me. He was like, Vicky, it's okay. And I was so taken back by that because then it made me feel like, wow, this whole time I could have told him. And all these years I spent in secrecy as a desolate woman like Tamar when I could have just told my daddy. Mm. And at the end of the day, like, that's like Christ. We do that with God all the time. We hold on to things. We don't repent all the time. We don't come to God all the time when all he's going to say is, it's okay, my daughter. And we allow that secret and we allow that sin and that unrepentance to just keep us desolate women. Passion action number two is get the help you need to move forward. Go to counseling. Go to therapy. Find a psychiatrist. Pray, right? Get, Get involved in a small group. Do what it is that you need to do in order to move forward. Pray about it. God will reveal that to you. And number three, forgive those who've hurt you. I forgave my abuser. In fact, the person asked me for forgiveness a long time ago. And I know not everyone has that privilege of being able to receive an apology, receive an apology or, or being asked you know, for forgiveness. But I was given that privilege and I was able to have the privilege of forgiving my abuser and releasing that person. And when you take purity and peace or purity and maturity, there is a prayer that we have in our workbooks that talks about forgiving your abuser. And I believe God allowed me to be able to write that because I was able to do it. Mm. And so if you were abused in any way, my passion action to use this week is to work on before 2020 is up. Yeah, that's right. Right? There's a window of grace. We're in a window of grace right now, an opportunity before we break through through the next year. Take this opportunity to go forgive those who have hurt you. You let go of things that are holding you back, for sure. Your wounds, our wounds, hurts, and struggles may be holding us back from living our best life. It may be holding you back from living your best life. The potential that God has placed in you can only come to maturity when you are your whole and healed self. As Christians, we believe that all healing comes from God. Christ has the power to heal you. Accept him in your life. This is the best thing you can ever do in regards into receiving healing and pretty much coming to your whole and true self. So if you are right there, I just want you to know that you can say a word of prayer and just asking Christ to come into your life. And, you know, you can just do a word of repentance right over yourself where you're at. You know, again, like we encourage you to find like a good church community, small group, something that's going to help raise you in the faith and something that's going to, if you turned away from the faith, you know, and you're looking to come back, you know, God, just know that his arms are always open. And if you're in the Southern Connecticut area, know that you're always welcome to join a Purity and Peace or Purity and Maturity small group session. We are in Bridgeport and in Milford, Connecticut, and we would love to have you join us, even if it's just to one of our love and lunches or to a purity ceremony or to our six-week Bible studies. Please go on www.purityandpeace.com and follow us on Instagram at Pure Love and Health. You can also follow our Facebook pages now. Just look up Purity Plus Peace or Purity Plus Maturity, and you can like those pages and follow us along there as well. You guys have a great and blessed day. 
I hope you received something from this podcast. If you want to leave a comment, please leave a comment. We would love to hear how this has touched you or we would love to hear our ways on how we can grow and how we can fine tune certain things. So thank you very much, everybody. God bless you. God be with you and have a great day. Bye.